might be on Buffalo. To the net now, and they score! Tipped in, will they count it? That net was knocked free. Shifley can't clear it. Bozak in front, they score! Schwartz tipped it in! I do not believe it! Schwartz has given the Blues with 15 seconds to go! A three to two lead, this is crazy! Welcome to the Blue Line Podcast. Presented by The Athletic St. Louis. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy Rutherford and Cristiano Simonetta. And welcome to the Blue Line Podcast. My name is Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic St. Louis alongside Cristiano Simonetta. And we are talking Blues playoff hockey. A couple weeks ago, we came to you with our playoff preview, Blues Winnipeg Jets first round quarterfinal series in the Western Conference. And now they've played five games in Cristiano uh, this is a series where the Blues won the first two games in Winnipeg. It looked like, uh, well, the Blues might pull this thing out in a sweep. Not so fast. Winnipeg comes to St. Louis and gets the next two games. Looked like they had all the momentum. Uh, but the Blues were confident that they could go back to Winnipeg and win a game five and swing this series back to them. Uh, it didn't look good for a couple periods in terms of the scoreboard. But in one of the most improbable come-from-behind Blues playoff victories uh, in their franchise history, they win three to two, take game five, and now have a three games to two lead in this series that heads back to St. Louis. What a series. They can never make it easy, can they, Jeremy? What a come from behind victory in game five. Something not a lot of people saw coming after the Blues were dead in the water after the first 40 minutes because they were allowing an assortment of high quality chances while not generating enough of their own. But Jordan Bennington kept them in the game, and the Blues were able to find a way to swing the series back in their favor heading into Game 6 on Saturday. Yes, and Cristiano, we will get into Game 5 heavy throughout the podcast here, but let's back up. Let's go back to Games 1 and 2 in this series uh, in Winnipeg. I was there, and uh, that crowd at the MTS place was rowdy. The Jets had not played well down the stretch, actually for the past couple months, and a lot of people felt that this team was limping into the playoffs, and they were meeting a hot Blues team. And I thought early in that game one, it's always going to be a situation where two teams are feeling each other out, uh, but the Blues looked a little timid. However, they get the victory in game one. Pat Maroon, a great setup for Tyler Bozak. He wins the game. And then in game two, more third-period heroics from the St. Louis Blues. They played terrifically in the third period this entire series. They've outscored the Jets 9-4 to in the final frame. They get that goal from Ryan O'Reilly and left Winnipeg with a 2-0 lead. What were you feeling about the Blues at that point? Well, I thought they stole game one, Jeremy, and a lot of people disagreed with me when I said that because despite them having a 26-25 to shot advantage, I thought, like you said, Winnipeg dictated the pace in the first period in the second period, then the Blues started to get their jump, get their legs a little bit in that third period, and they took the game over. They scored to tie the game, and then Tyler Bozak with under three minutes ago scored a tremendous goal after Pat Maroon set the entire play up. We'll get into that trio of Robert Thomas, Tyler Bozak, and Pat Maroon throughout the podcast because they have been the Blues' best line throughout this series in terms of their forwards. And then game two, Connor Hellebuck, a couple of goals that he'll want back, but Ryan O'Reilly, his first goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs as a St. Louis Blue. Turns out to be the game winner in Game 2. And the Blues, who struggled in terms of after having a 2-0 series lead after winning the first two games at home, like we saw in 2013 against the Kings, 2014 against the Chicago Blackhawks, 
Now they're up 2 nothing, heading back to Enterprise Center, and you think they've got to split one and one at least, right? Yeah, you really did think they'd come home and, uh, you know, if not win two games at home, and I know that'd be tough against the Winnipeg team uh, that uh, presents a lot of tough matchup issues with their size and speed. But at the very least, you're right. They've got to get one of those games. Game three. Let me set the scene here. This is a home playoff game. You've got Kelly Chase on the jump, Jumbotron with a passionate speech, you know, telling the fans that uh, the Blues were heavily doubted throughout the season. But here we are. His line was, hey, buddy, here we're here. And uh, so the Blues come out and I thought played uh, probably the worst game you could imagine. They were just flat throughout uh, throughout the game and lose it 6-3. to three. One thing that became a major headline for games 3 and 4, you mentioned the Ryan O'Reilly goal, the game winner in game 2, Cristiano. Um, that was the last we'd see of uh, good 5-on-5 five five play from the St. Louis Blues against this Winnipeg team for a long stretch. Going into game 5 last night, uh, they had only one five-on-five goal from Alexander Steen since that O'Reilly game winner uh, in Game 2. And so the heavy matchup between the Mark Shifley line uh, and then going up against the Ryan O'Reilly line, that's a matchup we've seen a lot in this series, was being won by the Winnipeg Jets. So as I mentioned, they win Game 3 by that score of 6-3. of six to three. And then uh, Game 4, Shifley and his linemate Kyle Connor, they turn it on, and they help the Jets to a victory in Game 4. At that point to me, Cristiano, it looked like all the momentum had gone back to the Winnipeg Jets. Of course, especially the way the Blues lost Game 3. It was, like you said, one of the worst games they could possibly play. The first half St. Louis Blues, even the 15 games that Mike Yo coached, it looked like that team came onto the ice, and in that type of atmosphere, feeding off of the crowd's energy, you have to have a better start, you have to have a better middle, and you certainly have to have a better finish, but the Blues lacked in all three parts of that game. Winnipeg took control early. Patrick Laine in front of the net, wide open at four-on-four. Jordan Bennington with no chance, and Jordan Bennington allowed six goals in that game, Jeremy, but he had kept the Blues in that game throughout until it got a little bit more dicey as it waged on, but he has had to make point-blank saves night after night, and we saw that in Game 4, a pure goalie duel between Bennington and Hellebuck and Kyle Connor, a bit of a broken-down play. Bennington makes the first save on that Shifley-Wheeler line, and the puck just skitters off his skate and into the net for a Winnipeg win in Game 4 to tie up the Series of 2, and now you think, oh boy, here we go, it's the St. Louis Blues, they get that 2-0 series lead, and they're heading back to Winnipeg, and they didn't get off to the best start there either in Game 5. Yeah, and uh, you know, Game 4 ends in overtime, the first overtime game of the series, as you mentioned, uh, Kyle Connor wrapped it up, it was about 6 minutes into OT, and I was in the Blues locker room after that, and they said a lot of the same things that you would expect them to say, Alex Petrangelo saying, you know, we feel confident going back to Winnipeg, and uh, we know that we can win there. Not only Cristiano had the Blues won two playoff games there, uh, but going back to the regular season, they were 3-0-1 against the Winnipeg Jets at the MTS place this year. And I know they're not thinking about this, but to me this is a factor. Winnipeg had not played well at home down the stretch. They had lost three games on home ice prior to this playoff series starting. So you're talking about five straight losses the Winnipeg Jets had uh, at their own building 
uh, prior to the Blues going back there for Game 5. So, you know, if you're the Blues, yeah, you have to be confident. Yeah, you have to feel good. I mean, it's not like you were behind in the series. It's still 2-2, two to two, and now you're heading up to Winnipeg. But you had to feel, and I know I did at that moment, that Winnipeg, uh, they had regrouped. They'd, they'd found their game. I thought that that Shifley line willed that team to a win in Game 4, that overtime win, the way they elevated their play in the second half of that game. And I felt like it was going to be a tough task for the Blues to kind of stand behind their words that they were confident and they were going to go back and have any chance at a victory in Game 5 in Winnipeg. Well, then the first shift happens in Game 5 at the MTS place, (laughs) and it's Adam Lowry scoring 12 seconds in after Tanev had shot the puck off the side of the goal and Bennington kicked it out to the front. And it's one nothing Winnipeg, and you think, oh my gosh, we're at DEFCON 3 right now. The, the pressure has just amped up the blues. You hear the chants from the Winnipeg fans, you look nervous, you look nervous. It was incredible. And Jordan Bennington again. We could talk about him throughout this entire podcast. His ability to stay in games and to let that stuff roll off him was critical in that first period because despite the goal coming from Kevin Hayes in that first period, which again was a play driving to the front of the net and at even strength, where have Winnipeg's goals been in this series? Right in the front of the net, right in the low slot. And the Blues had to have adjusted to that because Kevin Hayes' goal, he walks past Joel Edmondson. Edmondson should have thrown him to the ground, knocked him off the puck. Instead, he walks right down Broadway, gets one whack. Bennington makes a save. A second whack goes through. It's 2 nothing Winnipeg and the Blues are looking flustered, to say the least. It was 2 to nothing, And after that first goal, you mentioned the crowd chanting, uh, Bennington, you look nervous. We all know what that's from. That's because of the viral video. Uh, February 26th, the Blues won a game against Nashville. Uh, it was a nail-biter. Uh, the reporter from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Jim Thomas, said to Jordan Bennington after the game, gosh, uh, are you nervous? These are these are really tight games. And Jordan Bennington's response, he kind of deadpan, do I look nervous? And, of course, the Blues made a video out of that. It went everybody, everywhere. Everyone around the league uh, saw it. Obviously, the Winnipeg fans uh, remembered it because uh, – one nothing after that goal went in just 12 seconds. By the way, the fastest goal against the Blues to start a game in franchise history. They started in with the chant of, you look nervous, and it sure was loud. Uh, I cannot say enough, and you just said it, so I'll echo what you're saying, Cristiano, that uh, Jordan Bennington is just able to com- keep his composure. And that second goal, that was not on Jordan Bennington. You had three Blues who were backpedaling into the zone, and Hayes just walks around Joel Edmondson, one of the Blues' most physical players. No physicality there on that play. You also have Vince Dunn and Ivan Barbashev standing nearby. Nothing going on defensively for the St. Louis Blues. They fall behind 2-0, and even though I felt like they had played decently through 30 minutes of that game, you still had that 2-0 deficit and things didn't look good. It reminded me of Game 3 when David Perron scored that power play goal at the end of the first period. Winnipeg, I thought, had an excellent first period, and Jordan Bennington had some great stops. And you look at Game 5, Winnipeg absorbing that storm from St. Louis even after Lowry's goal 12 seconds in. They were getting shots through from the point. They were cycling. I thought the top line, the trio of Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, and Vladimir Tarasenko had some effective shifts, but they come out of that first period down 2 nothing. very similar to how the Jets were down one nothing after 20 in Game 3. A lot of similarities between these two teams, Jeremy, and it's been a very close series. But again, as we move throughout Game 5, the Blues finally turned it on, and they did in a big way. 
Well, and here's what I don't get, Cristiano. You're Winnipeg, and you're up two to nothing, and you saw what happened uh, in Game Four. The Jets take a, uh, a penalty late in the second period. I believe it was pro, uh, and then Tarasenko comes out and gets the power play goal in the third period. Of course, Winnipeg came back and won that game, but for the time being, it had given the Blues the lead. Same thing last night. Although Winnipeg's leading two to nothing, as we know. And uh, there's a roughing penalty on Tarasenko in the Blues' defensive zone, and it leads to a power play on fresh ice to start the third period, and they get the power play goal from Ryan O'Reilly. Seems like the Winnipeg Jets uh, shot themselves in the foot a couple times because the Blues weren't doing anything five-on-five, but the power play had been pretty good. Yeah, and it's Jacob Truba going to the box 1939 into the second period. And for Jacob Truba, he had a rough game. I think he's had a rough series, frankly, over the past couple of games as well. Paul Maurice, we'll see what he does with his lines moving forward on defense. But Truba was on the ice for Jaden Schwartz goal at the end of the game. He takes that costly penalty. And Vladimir Tarasenko, he may not be putting up the goals at even strength, but he is hardworking in the offensive zone. I think he's cycling very well with whoever is on that line with him, and he's creating opportunities. He's had a couple of clean looks at the net, just hasn't been able to get a goal at 5-on-5. Five five. He's got those two key power play goals, and he's able to get under Truba's skin a little bit, and the Blues are able to use that momentum. O'Reilly gets that goal, and then a goal coming 13 minutes and 52 seconds into the third period. It's Braden Shen, but oh wait, Jeremy, is it going to count because the net was dislodged <laughs> as the puck was going in? Yeah, let's, before we break down that goal, Cristiano, let's talk about the uh, line changes that led to Braden Shen being out there on the ice with Jaden Schwartz and Oscar Sundquist. Let's uh, roll back the tape to yesterday morning. A lot of people wondering, would Craig Berube switch his lines? We talked about they, they weren't getting much five-on-five. Five. Uh, that top line with O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Shen had been losing the even-strength battle against the Shifley line. And uh, David Perron said in the locker room yesterday morning, uh, the visiting locker room, he said that, hey, look, we have confidence in, in this group, and, and if Chief wants to keep the same lines together, uh, we believe that we're eventually going to produce. And uh, I talked to Craig Berube about that, and he said, look, these guys have shown a good track record all year long. There's no reason for me at this point uh, to to break up these lines. So what did he do? Second period, he decides to flip David Perron and uh, Braden Shen. He moves Perron up with O'Reilly and Tarasenko. He moves Shen down with Schwartz and Sunquist, as I mentioned, uh, what happened there is Shen went back to the middle. Look, he's been playing left wing on that top line for a long time now, probably a couple months. He goes back to his regular position at center, moves Sunquist over to the right side, and I believe it really sparked uh, both groups. Now we didn't see uh, an early return in the second period, you know, in terms of production, um, but I think once that power play. Uh, once they scored on that and they cut the lead to 2-1, to one, I thought you saw some jump in that top six. And it's a smart decision by Craig Berube. And you look at the past couple of Stanley Cup winning teams, they're known for switching up their lines. When you talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins having that balance of Sidney Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel, and look at Joel Quenville with the Chicago Blackhawks. He used that blender more than anybody in terms of his top six. And Craig Berube knew what to do when his top line was not producing. You bring up David Perron, who's been an absolute workhorse 
You pair him with O'Reilly, who remember that line with O'Reilly and Sanford in the early part of the season, and especially against Winnipeg. That was the game where they combined for that fantastic goal as a backhand by Ryan O'Reilly in that first period. So you know 90 and 57 have some chemistry, and you have Vladimir Tarasenko there. But what about Shen and Schwartz? That line last year, Shen led the Blues in points. He was great with Schwartz, and for two guys that needed to get going in this series, but also Schwartz, who had not gotten going in the entire season, it seems, in terms of his goal production. They are able to capitalize, but Braden Shen, it's Oscar Sundquist, given Dustin Bufflin, as Darren Pang would say, the old nine of hearts, goes between his legs, streaks down the left wing side, gets upended, and like I already said, the net's coming off its moorings because you got, what, six foot three Oscar Sundquist barreling in on it, and Braden Shen's able to tap home that empty net, but what a great play by Craig Berube and Steve Ott to recognize what's going on in their forward groups and what they have to do in order to get back in this series and get back in this game as well. Yeah, Oscar Sundquist has been terrific all season long, and he makes the move around Dustin Bufflin. And I got to admit, the first replay, it was hard to see exactly what Bufflin had done uh, to knock Sundquist down, but you can tell he kind of gives him the runaround. Sundquist goes into the uh, the post there, knocks the, the net off the moorings. Um, it's right about the time after he slid the puck over to Braden Shen uh, that Shen puts it in. And so uh, Winnipeg obviously wanted that to uh, not count, and it was a no goal on the ice. According to the official uh, email that we get from the Situation Room, uh, they said it was a no goal on the ice, but the Situation Room pointed out to the on-ice officials that the goal had been scored um, into the net in a normal position where, uh, you know, if the net is on its moorings, it would have counted. And they ruled that the defender, Dustin Bufflin, had pushed Oscar Sundquist into it, causing that situation. So the goal stands and 6.08 left to go in regulation. The Blues are tied. Wow. You know, they had played some decent hockey, I think, uh, leading up to that. But to erase that two-goal deficit, you know, this team continues to show that composure, that poise, uh, that that ability to stay in games that I just don't recall seeing, not just early in the year, but even in the past couple of years. This is something new. This is something that they've developed, and you've got to give them a lot of credit for it. Absolutely, and that only rattled the Winnipeg Jets crowd as well as the guys on the ice in dark even more. And Connor Hellebuck said after the game, when they asked about the Blues comeback, he said the puck was just bouncing. It was like pinball flippers, you know. They get a bounce. <laughs> I don't think that goal should have counted. I wasn't able to protect my post. It should not have been a goal. And you have to think, Jeremy, in his head, he's a little bit disgruntled and even discouraged. And the Blues are dictating the play, so he doesn't even have time to think about that second goal. It's already in the back of the net, but Winnipeg was just on their heels, something that the Blues were having happened to them at home, not able to generate anything. You can't even flip the puck out. And Colton Pareko takes a slap shot. It hits Nikolai Ehlers. He goes down. He's not even able to move. The Blues have a bunch of sustained offensive zone pressure, and they only build off of that as the time ticks down in the third period. Yeah, and when I looked up the clock and I saw a minute left, and you're talking about a 2-2 game, I was thinking about how fortunate the Blues really were to get this game into overtime. You're going to have a 15-minute intermission break here and, and see if you can build on some of that momentum that you created in the third period. But as we've seen with this Blues team, I don't think they think like that, Cristiano. I think it's a situation where uh, they're going for it and they're aggressive. And so you have a shift with about 29, 30 seconds to go. Uh, Shen, Sunquist, uh, I believe maybe Steen, 
uh, was down there, not Sunquist and Schwartz. And uh, Braden Shen, and this is something that I think is very noteworthy. I had uh, an interesting time in the locker room talking to Shen about this uh, afterwards. Is uh, he he had an edge with this skate. He had a, he had a bad blade, and so you see him come off the ice. And uh, I saw the last few strides that he took to the bench. He was holding that boot in the air because of that bad blade. So what happens? Tyler Bozak comes onto the ice for Braden Shen. The only reason that happens is because Shen's got the bad blade. Otherwise, he stays out on the ice. Bozak drifts into the slot. Then the puck comes over to the near wall. He pinches, takes the puck, and because he's a right shot, because he's positioned right there to just be able to turn around and shovel it to the center of the ice, that's where Jaden Schwartz is standing. Schwartz knocks the puck out of midair, beats Hellebick for the goal, and the Blues have the 3-2 lead with 15 seconds to go. But none of that happens if you're talking about a left shot like a Shen or someone else over on that wall. It's just more difficult play. The stars had to align for a play like that to happen. It was a great catch by you, Jeremy, and you can catch Jeremy's article in the Athletic St. Louis today recapping that exact play as well as Game 5 on theathletic.com as well, who sponsors this podcast, the Blue Line Podcast, Episode 8. But moving back to that play, Jeremy, Alexander Steen also along the boards, pressures Mark Shifley pushes him, gives him a shove, just throws him off his edge a little bit to where he cannot backhand that puck out. So Steen, who's been on this fourth line, accepted the role, he's executed it to the best of his ability, and now he gets bumped into the top six with Oscar Sundquist going down late in the third period after that play where he hit the net. And the puck goes into that corner, and Bozak throws up a prayer. Nine times out of ten, you could even go 99 maybe out of 100. That that pass goes through with Jacob Truba along with Jaden Schwartz in the low slot. It's like three feet off the ice, and he does his best Paul Goldschmidt impression. I'm going to pander to the Cardinals <laughs> fans a little bit, even though I'm from Chicago. Uh, Wax it past Hellebuck, and I didn't believe it. It's something you don't believe with this team because of their inability to come back from games in the playoffs dating back five, six, seven years. But this team has proven that they are different. And Jaden Schwartz, a guy who only scored 11 goals in 69 games in the regular season, is the hero in Game 5. It stunned everybody in the building, and I know you were at a loss for words as well. Well, and you could see the jubilation on his face, and not just him, but his teammates as well. Everybody happy for Jaden Schwartz. He's a guy, even though he had 11 goals, Works hard. I know people get tired of hearing about that because they want to see uh, the production, but he's in the right place at the right time. Uh, like you said, the stars kind of align there. And what a scene in the locker room. I go into the, the visiting locker room at the MTS place, and Jaden Schwartz is sitting there, and some of the teammates are coming by and you know hitting him on the shoulder and you know telling him, uh, good job. And then Jaden Schwartz, as he gets up from uh, the interview, he probably did about a five- or eight-minute interview, and as he gets up and he walks out of the locker room, he's walking through this hallway, and there's uh, I mentioned this in my story, there's kind of an adjoining room, and Alex Steen kind of emerges from that room, sees Schwartz, and they give each other, I mean, I can't believe they don't have two broken hands as hard as they uh, high-fived. And uh, you hear Jaden Schwartz just let out a big, yes, you know, like th- this guy was excited and he should be excited uh, because it was a big moment. He called it the greatest goal of, of his career. When asked about it, he admitted that, yeah, it probably is. And not just for Jaden Schwartz, but Braden Shen also. Schwartz, uh, Sh- Shen is a guy who uh, did not have a point coming into game five 
in this entire series. Then he assists on the first goal. He scores the uh, the second one. And then, of course, he comes off the ice, and that was a key factor in that third goal for the Blues. Christiana, if you had to draw it up yesterday prior to the game and say, who are the two or three guys that really have to step up, not only to help the Blues win that game, but become factors in this series and help the Blues close out this series, you would have said Jaden Schwartz. You would have said uh, Braden Shen. They would have been two guys at the top of the list. Both of those guys delivered. No coincidence uh, that they win the game because of the performance of those two. And it's not only that they were underperforming in this series. I thought they looked like a shell of their former selves, to be honest, with Braden Shen, his inability to get the puck out of the zone. He's usually very reliable on the defensive side of things, was struggling in Enterprise Center to even stay on his feet. And Jaden Schwartz, the same thing. I like to call it TJ Oshie-itis. When he was younger, Oshie could never <laughs> stay on his skates, and I loved him to death, but come on. You just got to keep the motor humming, and, and Schwartz was known for that, and he's Mr. Reliable in the postseason. He's got back-to-back playoffs with four goals as well as almost point-per-game playoff seasons postseasons and for him to stay off the score sheet throughout this series so far and to finally see the results pay off and the perseverance throughout all of this it's symbolic of the Blues season so far everybody's counted them out every single person in the media it seems throughout this entire year has said the St. Louis Blues will not do this they will not do that they will not do this and this coming into game five, they're down to nothing. Oh, it's over. Winnipeg's going to take a 3-2 series. They're going to come to Enterprise Center on Saturday, beat the heck out of the Blues and eliminate them, and it's going to be catastrophic. But hold the phone. This team is different. They proved me wrong. Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen, they are off my list as well because they proved that when times are tough, you're going to need to throw out what's happened before, five minutes, ten minutes, two games, three games. As long as you're able to shine in the brightest moments of the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're going to be successful, and number 10 and number 17 did exactly that, and the Blues have a 3-2 series lead. Yeah, give them credit. Give Craig Bruby credit, as we mentioned, for those decisions that he made, and, and probably not just him. I know a lot of times the credit goes to the head coach, uh, but you've got assistant coaches like a Steve Ott in your ear um, and, and I think uh, a lot of the reason those changes are made because the coaching staff comes together. Uh, but they win for the third time in this series in Winnipeg. And I think I saw a tweet from uh, STL Blues History, and he says that um, that uh, they've never won four on the road in a series. So hopefully Blues fans don't want to see that because that would mean losing game six at Enterprise Center. And uh, we want to get into that just a bit Kind of a preview to uh, Game 6 that will take place on Saturday. Um, This is going to be a a very, very tough game for the Blues, not only because Winnipeg is a difficult team to play. I think we've uh, established that. Um, But uh, they've won twice at Enterprise Center. We can talk all we want about the success the Blues have had uh, in Winnipeg, but this is a Jets team that's also won twice here and played very, very good hockey uh, if you were to lose this one, Cristiano, uh, a ton of pressure would be placed on this Blues team to go up to Winnipeg and win for a fourth time in this series. Like I said, it's never been done. Uh, you're going to be talking about a Game 7 electric atmosphere. So every Blues fan I can imagine probably wants to avoid that scenario. What's it going to take? Let's talk about it. What do the Blues need to do in Game 6? Well, the often cliche used in these situations is the fourth game is the hardest one to win, and it's because of the desperation from the other team. The Blues have to match that urgency, that desperation, that work ethic 
that Winnipeg has executed throughout this series in critical moments. You want to talk about that overtime of Game 4. The Blues were not in that set of six minutes at all. It was 100% Winnipeg. They're going to have to rely on Jordan Bington again, sure. In a couple of moments, you're going to let up some odd man rushes, some breakaways. That just happens sometimes in the playoffs. Some bad bounces happen, and Bennington has weathered the storm. But you're going to need depth scoring and also a goal from the blue line, in my opinion. The Blues were second in the NHL in defensive scoring, and they have not had a single goal from the blue liners. And I'm looking at Alex Petrangelo, Vince Dunn, Colton Pareko. They have been terrific in terms of their ability to get pucks through in the regular season. That hasn't translated too much into the postseason. The Jets have done a tremendous job of blocking shots, clogging up the lanes. But the Blues are going to have to match the intensity of Winnipeg and feed off that home crowd finally for the first time in this series. You've got a chance, and I know the Enterprise Center is going to be rocking, but you're going to need a collective effort. I know it sounds cliche as well, but it can't just be Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly as the two guys working their butts off in Game 6. It's got to come from everybody, and it has to happen right from the start. I think the first set of 20 minutes can dictate this game if the Blues are able to put Winnipeg away and continue their foot on the gas. That killer instinct has eluded them in the past. We'll see if they get off to a lead early in Game 6. Yeah, it's definitely going to take a quality start. They did have one in uh, Game 4, but didn't have anything to show for it in terms of uh, goals. And then, of course, uh, after getting that goal from Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, Winnipeg uh, jumped on top of them. So it's going to take another good start. And I agree with you, Cristiano. A lot of pressure on guys like O'Reilly and Tarasenko to get the job done. But, again, they've had that tough matchup, uh, not only with the Shifley line, but also with the Lowry line. That's the line that started against them last night in Winnipeg and got the quick goal 12 seconds in. So you never know. I mean, Tarasenko certainly can rise the occasion and and win the game for the Blues tomorrow night. But I think uh, if they stick with their line changes, which I think they most likely would, they got some jump from them uh, in the third period. So you're looking at David Perron up with Tarasenko and O'Reilly. You're looking at Braden Shen possibly center in that second line with uh, Sunquist and Jaden Schwartz. Uh, I think the Blues are going to have to find some uh, secondary scoring, some depth scoring, some help tomorrow night. And if it comes from the defense, even all the better. You point out the stat, 46 goals they had in the regular season, uh, the defense did, and nary a goal in this playoff series. You know, It'll come if the Blues are able to advance uh, deeper into the playoffs. You're going to have a defenseman score. But I think it's been difficult in this series because the Blues have had trouble getting the puck out of their own zone. It's everything they've got just to be able to uh, get the puck out because of that Winnipeg forecheck. So uh, the Blues are going to have to find a way to get up ice. They're going to have to activate those defensemen at some point, whether it's this series or the next series, and get those uh, defensemen involved. But yeah, it sure would be apropos if tomorrow night we're talking about a couple defensive goals that finally get the Blues uh, blue liners on the board and help them win this game. But I I just can't stress enough, and I know it's the safe thing to do here and the safe thing to talk about how hungry uh, Winnipeg is, is going to be and how they can come in here and uh, and feel pretty good about themselves, too. The one thing, we'll have to find out more today, an update on Nikolai Ehlers. He went down last night uh, after blocking that shot. I believe it was by Colton Pareko, the big Pareko slapper. He had to be helped off the ice, and uh, and I don't know that there was word late last night on his update, so we'll see on the off day how Ehlers, who is just a speed demon for the Winnipeg Jets, if he's going to be in their lineup tomorrow night. 
Yeah, Paul Maurice did not have an update on Ehlers last night. And you mentioned Ehlers' name. He's a guy who has not scored in the postseason in his career, and the Jets fans have been ripping him all series long. So I'm going to flip that and go over to the Blues side for a guy who has not scored in the postseason. Jay Bomeister, 54 playoff games. He missed the playoffs for the first 10 years of his career. But since the age of 29, he's 35 now, with the Blues, he's been in the playoffs, and he has not scored a goal. So if I'm going to break out the crystal ball a little bit, Jeremy, <laughs> how sweet would that be for Jay Bomeister to score in Game 6 his first ever playoff goal? And who knows if that can turn the tide. But So Blue Liners, I'll circle number 19's name because I already made a correct prediction. If you could remember, on our last episode, I talked about Line A scoring first in Game 1. And then Oscar Sundquist scoring and being a big part of this series, too. So you've heard my predictions. I know that's not the type of podcast that we do. But, Jeremy, I'm going to flip it over to you now. If there's a bold prediction that you have for the rest of this series, whether it goes to a Game 7, what's it going to be? Well, first I'm going to have to pull up my app and and go back to those old podcasts and see if that's exactly what you said. (laughs) I don't recall all this talk about Oscar Sundquist being a big factor. Oh, come on. I'm going to pull up the clip. Don't worry. The fans out there (laughs) will know the truth behind Oscar Sundquist being that huge spark plug. I just can't believe the way that he's contributed, but go on, Jeremy. I'm not letting you off the hook here. I'm not letting you not answer. <laughs> no, I think that uh, you know if, if the Blues are going to have some success, as I mentioned, they're going to have some depth, depth guys have to step up. Uh, but I like David Perron. I thought last night, um, you know, part of the reason why Craig Bruby, I think, uh, changed things up and pushed uh, Braden Shen down to that second line just because it wasn't working. But also, anybody that watched that game saw that David Perron uh, was playing out of his mind, you know, hard every single shift. I mean, even if Shen wasn't getting it done, I felt like uh, it was a situation last night where David Perron um, was working so hard that he deserved that bump from Craig Berube. Uh, David Perron, in his past, has not been a terrific postseason player. I know he put up some numbers uh, with Vegas on their run to the uh, Stanley Cup finals last year, but David Perron, notoriously with the Blues, hasn't been a great uh, playoff performer. Just 1.11 games a couple years ago when they played Minnesota in the first round, Nashville in the second round, but he's got a couple goals in this series, and I like the way he's playing. So if we've got to put this on, on one guy, I think that David Perron's a guy who can get the job Uh, done tomorrow night so Cristiano what a series (laughs) you talked about uh, you know being tired here Uh, it's a grind and I can't imagine what it's like for the players every other day you're playing hockey and uh, this is some intense hockey and it only makes things more difficult uh, when you've got uh, you know the, the mental challenges that both of these teams have faced going into each other's buildings early in the series and winning two, uh, the Blues won two in, in Winnipeg and vice versa. And then uh, last night for the Blues to be able to come back in that game and win with 15 seconds to go in regulation, I can't imagine what that did to the Winnipeg Jets. So it's setting up for a tremendous Game 6 Saturday night at Enterprise Center. And uh, I know there's probably a, a lot of Winnipeg fans that would like to see a Game 7. Not the case here in St. Louis, as we said. Uh, but it, it's playoff hockey. It's fun. You know, uh, we still can't believe that the St. Louis Blues are in this uh, postseason after what we watched the first three months. Uh, but they deserve to be here, and I believe they deserve to be up 3-2 to two in this series. You hit the nail right on the head, and we'll echo Kelly Chase's mantra in game three hey buddy we're here and the blues are here but will they be able to close it out in game six 
and have that killer instinct that has eluded them over the past couple of years when trying to beat teams in under seven games because we saw a couple of years ago they had a 3-1 series leading at Chicago, took a game seven. They had a chance to win in Dallas against Dallas game six. They lost that. It was game seven. They turned the tide, and now the Blues, you just can't believe it, like you said. And you just can't believe the start they had. And if this is the start of a long postseason run, we're going to remember this game five and that goal scored by Jaden Schwartz with 15 seconds left. We'll close on this uh, quick anecdotal story. I've heard that Hey Buddy about a million times in my life from Kelly Chase. And one quick one uh, was uh, the Blues were in Detroit and they served the Little Caesars pizza before the game to the media. I was sitting next to Kelly Chase for the dinner, and uh, I was probably on my, let's say, third, fourth piece of pizza uh, prior to the game, and Kelly Chase looks over at me and says, Hey, buddy, you don't have to finish it. You don't have to eat four or five pieces. So uh, Kelly Chase always uh, uh, doing his best to be my trainer, I suppose, and tell me to uh, watch my diet. So now it was a good speech by him and uh, and uh, a good response, not that night, uh, by the St. Louis Blues, uh, but uh, in Game 5. So for Cristiano Simonetta, my name is Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic St. Louis. This has been Episode 8 of the Blue Line Podcast, brought to you by The Athletic St. Louis. We look forward to bringing it to you as much as we can. We wanted to get into the studio today and tape Episode 8, get it out to you, so we can talk about that improbable come-from-behind victory last night for the St. Louis Blues and we'll see if they can close it out Saturday, Game 6 against the Winnipeg Jets at Enterprise Center. Have fun, Blues fans, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Blue Line Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to The Athletic St. Louis and follow the guys on Twitter.